Hi, you're listening to An Open Dialogue. I'm Violet Howe. And I'm Todd Handel. And thank you for joining us this week. We are exercising our First Amendment rights to free speech by creating this podcast and coming on and talking about things and creating original content. And it's funny how sometimes, um, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. We were talking about, and I've wanted to, to discuss this topic for quite some time, but several years ago, 2014, I believe, Scarlett Johansson, who is a uh, movie actress, she sued a French author who had written a book that had a Scarlett Johansson lookalike as its main character. And I have not read the book, so disclaimer there, I've not read the book, yeah. but from what I understand, in the book, the woman was was mistaken for Scarlet quite a bit, and the woman talked about um, you know some of the pitfalls of being considered a sex symbol, and um, you know several things happened to her over the course of the book. And Scarlett Johansson sued. She sued for fifty thousand um, pounds. She wasn't awarded that much, but she sued and won, saying that it was um, basically defamation, and that he had you know kind of stolen her image. Now, I do know that French courts have much stricter laws on um, what you're allowed to publish and not publish. They have much stricter laws on privacy and much stricter laws on paparazzi than we do here in the United States. In the United States, you know, we, we tend to be more lenient with free speech. But it's very interesting to me as an author that um, she sued and won when he used her name in a creative work. It surprised me. I think, because it wasn't like his main character was Scarlett Johansson, and he was saying that she had done these things or these things happened to her. It was a character that looked like Scarlett Johansson. And so I wanted us, first of all, to kind of discuss the ramifications of that for for writing. When you create a work, should you be allowed to use a real person's name or likeness in that work? It's interesting because, I, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about this particular thing, but I'm remembering that there is another book that I've read within the last few years. It's actually one of my favorites. It's a, it's a sports romance. And they reference the fact that one of the characters looks a lot like Scarlett Johansson. And, and you know, it's, it's they, they actually, the other, the, the friends of the, the male protagonist call her Scarlett. Um, you know, jokingly because of that. So I guess I guess that book didn't 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 get on didn't get on her radar. Didn't get on her radar. Well, and, and also maybe if it was an American author, it, it also may be that it was an American author. And and like I said, American right. courts kind of treat it differently. Right. I think um, that American courts would have laughed this one out. Yeah. I mentioned Reese Witherspoon in in yeah. one of my books, in the Ghost in the Curve, um, the Ghost Chelsea, who is um, a, a 16 year old for all eternity now because she's ghost um she was a huge fan of, of reese witherspoons and so she kind of asked in the book you know how reese is doing in modern days and she's shocked to find that you know uh reese and ryan are no longer together and and she's also um remarks on the fact that reese doesn't age which is fact i truly think the woman doesn't age but um you know there was nothing definitely nothing uh defamatory against Reese saying nothing at all negative about her it actually was in there because I'm a huge fan of her work but it's funny how like I didn't think about at the time well if Reese Witherspoon were to read this you know would she take this as an insult or would she take this as me using her public persona 
in a way that she didn't approve of. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it could have, it could definitely have far reaching ramifications for what we're able to do in fiction and and pop culture is such that if we if you write a certain type of book you can't pretend that it doesn't exist you know um right you i've i've read books where um the author has actually created an entirely different a set of pop culture figures and and circumstances so that they avoid that but i think that's disingenuous sometimes and i think it kind of takes you out of the story so I would, um, I would, it doesn't bother me. I I like it. I like that it places, I think it can place characters in in times and space. So, um, and was, was the, was it, was it really that, uh, you said you haven't read it. I haven't, I I haven't read it. Defamatory it was. I haven't read it. I mean, she, like I said, she was, she was given, I think what amounted to about $3,400 when she had asked for 50,000 pounds. So obviously she wasn't awarded the full amount of what she asked, but you know, she did win the, the case. Um, and, and I think like, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. Like I, on the one hand, as an author, I think that what I'm creating is a work of fiction. And like you said, sometimes, you know, having a pop culture reference in there or something that people can relate to or something that kind of, you know, establishes the time period or establishes something like that. um, I would hate to think that we wouldn't have the right to do that or that we would be limited in being able to do that. But then I also see where it can definitely be taken too far. And um, there's there's two things I want to bring up. Here in the United States, like I said, the laws are much different. Um, Olivia de Havilland, who played Miss Melanie in Gone with the Wind, um, who is 102 and still feisty, she very famously, back in the day, sued the movie studios and, and kind of changed the way the studio system worked. And so she has definitely had, you know, the courts on her side in the past. And... Recently, there was a miniseries called Feud that was about the lives of Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And in this miniseries, Catherine Zeta-Jones played Olivia de Havilland. And it was done, it was done like, you know how they'll do these things that are kind of like a biopic or a docudrama where it's part fictional and it's part truth and maybe it's based in the true story, but not everything in it, you know, is necessarily true. And that's what this was. And Catherine Zeta-Jones, from what I understand in the show, made some statements about Olivia de Havilland's sister and made some statements about Betty Davis and, um, and Joan Crawford. And Olivia de Havilland felt that it misrepresented her. She felt that it portrayed her as a gossip. She felt that it was language that she would not have used. And she felt that it was a criticism of her sister that she had never made. And so she felt that this um, betrayed her in a negative light. And she sued. Now, California has one of the strictest laws against frivolous lawsuits. Like they, they protect free speech. Um, almost, almost like all the way to the other direction, you know, the Mm -hmm. pendulum swings all the way the other way. And so it it really, you really have to show that there was an intent to be defamatory, that there was an intent to destroy someone's image in order to say that, you know, that what they did was defamatory. And she lost the case in California. She appealed to the California Supreme Court. They refused to hear her case and she appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court and on, um, January 7th, 
the U.S. Supreme Court turned down her case. So she's done. There's no further for her to go. And unfortunately, you know, this stands. But I just find it interesting, these two different cases of where free, where free speech fits in. Um, in the case of the French author, it was a fictional account. It wasn't actually Scarlett Johansson. It was a lookalike. And yet he lost his case in saying that he had, had kind of taken her public image and, and done things with it that he wasn't allowed to do. Olivia de Havilland, they were actually portraying her. They were actually saying it was her. Uh, not a you know not a character that she'd played or not someone that looked like her but actually her they were putting words in her mouth and she lost her suit so I just think the two you know those two aspects of free speech um, I find that fascinating again especially as an author and what we're creating where does my right to create an original work and have free speech in what I create where does that begin to infringe upon your right to not be represented in a way that you choose not to be represented. Uh, yes, and, and I, I, as an aside to that, thinking about Olivia de Havilland and, and you know, being a fan and a, uh, a student of, of that time period, um, I mean, it was, it was well known that she and her sister did feud famously. Right. Um, you know, she and Joan Fontaine were, were at each other's throats for a good part of their lives, their professional lives. And so, but it, it does make me laugh just a little bit that, you know, how many people are still alive who, who, who lived through that, who, who can, you know, most of that, most of that generation is, is gone. It's kind of uh, stunning that, that she still cares so passionately about it. That that's just an aside. Um, and I kind of feel like, I don't know, I, maybe, maybe there's an element whereas, where, where you rise above it and you ignore it and then it goes away. So I don't, I, I, you know, that it's a very long time to pursue that kind of, uh, that kind of thing uh, in, in, her, in her case. Um, well, it's interesting that you should say that because I think that my first reaction upon reading about the Scarlett Johansson um, case with the French author was kind of like, are you kidding me? Really? Seriously? Like how much did this guy's book really damage your, you know, your public persona or whatever? But I think the issue at hand is again, when does, when does one person's right to free speech, you know, in, infringe upon another person's right? And with right. Scarlett Johansson, um, uh, right around the same time as that Supreme Court ruling for Olivia de Havilland. In fact, it was just, you know, just within the last week or so, Scarlett Johansson has spoken out publicly about digital porn. Right. And um, the technology, in many cases, technology far advances past the capability of our laws to police it or to govern it. And with digital porn, the technology has become such that they are able to take someone's face and put it on someone else's body in a video and it'd be pretty much undetectable, you know, to the naked eye as to whether or not it's been doctored. And the technology is really advanced in this area. And the person whose image is used most worldwide in digital porn against her wishes is Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. So I just found it interesting that, you know, again, my first reaction was really, you're kind of overreacting, you know, this guy just wrote a book about you. But I can see where the bigger issue is, do we have the right to protect our own public persona? Do we have the right to protect how we're projected in public? And a lot of courts with this digital porn issue have kind of ruled that 
free speech covers it. It is a, it's an original work. It is an original creation and that they're able to do this. And unfortunately for the women whose ex-husbands or ex-boyfriends or stalkers or whatever are combing through their Facebook pictures and pulling them and putting them on these videos and releasing them in retaliation or in revenge, the laws have not caught up with that. And um, I think it's very interesting that we definitely all want to feel like we're champions of free speech and our ability to create. And I, and I definitely, I, I definitely um, am very sensitive about censorship and, and people telling authors or, or artists what they can create and what they can't. But it really does make me look at it from a different angle that if you're dealing with another person, a real person, not a fictional person, where, where does the line draw between your right to free speech and to create and their right to have control over their public image? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think that, that the free speech is, is the biggest issue here. Um, I, I said something to my son about this and he, he laughed. He, it was not a surprise to him and he laughed and said, well, what is she going to do really as far as, uh, suing it because there these are there's there's <laughs> what did he say a tribe of teenage boys all over the country who are doing this and you know she to, to get them to stop would be would be well she said a, as soon as she fights one another one pops up i mean exactly. it's not you know no. it's, it's not something that that she can stop from no. happening no. but unfortunately it's not something any of us no. could stop from happening no, you exactly. know and that's um, um and, that's... and i actually think image is something that is is so unique you know i we were as i said we kind of this became a jumping off topic with my kids my husband and every everything um and i said you know you know if if you have a name like say kate miller it's going to be used in in you know in a book in a movie whatever you can't really say well I'm going to sue you because you, you use my name and, and, you know, clearly this is about me. But somebody with a name like mine, I think I have a, a you know, a greater, greater ground to stand on. Um, and, and it's the same thing with your image. You know, if, if you're talking about somebody with red hair and freckles, that's very kind of vague. But if you're using her exact face, and I, I do kind of think that might violate the freedom of speech because she should have at least an equal um, right right to to protect yeah. that image. Well, know? I think like I mean, I think the example that I hear used the most with with any limit put on free speech is like the you know yes you have the right to free speech but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater you know you can't use your free speech to do something that's going to cause harm to others and I don't understand why that wouldn't apply in this case if yes it may not cause physical harm but if it's going to cause emotional harm if it's going to cause you know mental harm um, you know public damage and, and you mentioned like you know Olivia de Havilland at this point I mean she's 102 years old but obviously her image or her honor her integrity she felt was being you know called into into question or misaligned right. and wanted to fight that so it's a tough question like i it definitely is. support our right to create i definitely don't i don't agree with censorship and i think we should have the the right to create but i do feel like when we start pulling real people into it whether that be in um music in the written word in film and whatever, if you want to call digital porn art, I'm sure there's people who would. <laughs> but in those instances, like if it's if it's infringing upon somebody that's a real person, I think their rights should trump someone else's 
free speech. And I think that the idea of um, when it is defamatory and when it is not might be very subjective. There might be artists out there who are perfectly okay with um, their their image or their name or whatever being connected with something that another person might be horrified that, right. that they were, uh, you know, affiliated with. Um, and it's, it again, it's very, very subjective. What some people see as abuse and, and an infringement, other people see as free publicity, you know. Um, well, the, it's a fine line. the California laws, um, one of the things I saw when I was researching the de Havilland case, it says that you have to show that the author has acted with actual malice. Um, it, it has to show that they intended to convey the defamatory expression, like they intended for it to be. You know, they acted reckless, um, reckless disregard of how it would be interpreted, and they intended with actual malice to damage the person. I cannot imagine that when you put someone else's face on a digital porn movie that you're thinking that's going to in some way help them or, or, or make them feel good about it. But um, I do think that should be the standard that's applied you know if I mention Reese Witherspoon in my book did I intend malice towards her did I intend in any way to defame her I mean I think there has to be some kind of guideline or there has to be some kind of boundary or limit you can't just say that anything that's created is free speech I think you have to look at what are the consequences of that what is the fallout of that and and does it affect another person like when does that person's rights come into play so yeah um I don't know. That's a, it's a tough one. You know, there's so many things within law that aren't black and white. They're gray, mm -hmm. you know, where, um, where I can see that there's instances where, okay, if someone wants to write um, an autobiography or someone wants to do, you know, a documentary about their own life. And if within the, the, within the content of that, it defames someone else or it makes someone else look bad. You know, when you look at like, um, mommy dearest definitely mm. did not paint Joan Crawford in a good light, you know, <laughs> No, you don't think, so, think about so, wire hangers. I mean, they, you know, are when, the real when someone here. tells their own story, but it makes someone else look bad, then is that, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a great it area. Well, it's a matter like, of perspective. I think, um, you know, I've had, I've had several, um, I've had several, people when I first started writing come to me and say, um, people who knew my parents say, oh, you should write, you should write your parents' love story. It was a beautiful love story. Well, you know, that, that's a matter of opinion, but, but I've always said there's too many people still alive who would, yeah. who would have, because I, I know that uh, although, you know, there are things that I can whitewash, there are things that definitely happened that um, uh, my perspective, um, my parents' perspective, uh, you know, as, as I was told it, um, would be very different than, than some of these other people's perspective. Um, the, the very way I got my name could be considered somewhat derogatory to a family member. So, you know, um, I, I, I've had, I've said not until everybody else is dead, which may be when I'm, I, it's too late for me to do it. Um, <laughs> But I think that that's true. And I, I don't know about you, but one of the, the questions I'm asked very, very, very frequently as an author is, are any of your characters based on real people? And of course, the quick answer is, oh, no, they all come from my head. But let's face it, that is untrue. I can't think of any author who is not pulling traits 
it might not be an entire person, but you're pulling traits from everybody who you know and everybody. Definitely. Definitely. And people that you encounter. I mean, that's what, you know, when you go to a restaurant or when you have an experience in a, you know, in the grocery store or whatever, uh, on a cruise ship. I mean, there's a character in one of my books that was based on a man that sat next to us at a cruise ship and he was just obnoxious and loud and <laughs> and at some point during the meal my husband looked at me and said that guy's going in a book isn't he I'm like oh, you bet <laughs> you bet he is I uh, um, yeah but I had... not named and no, not no, publicly no, no. you know taking no. him as a person and no. and putting his obnoxious ways on display so I I do think that's different when it's anonymous I I think so I had I had a family member who I will not name um, and and not even say the relationship but after I had written my fourth book there was a character in there who was he was not only bad it was a a paranormal romance so he was not only bad he was truly evil I mean he was evil on a demonic sense uh, on a demonic level and I was visiting with this person all of a sudden out of the blue this person said is that character based on my husband <laughs> I almost <laughs> fell out of my chair like, that was the furthest thing from my mind but maybe you should see counseling because <laughs> this seems like a bigger problem to me um, but I have had that I, I've asked and, and because I get a lot of inspiration from my children I certainly hope they're not going to sue me, but I, I never, right. you know, it's never, it's usually situational or an element or a trait or something. So I, you know, I certainly hope they will not sue me. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and if it's somebody who's, if I base something on somebody who is a positive character, I will ask them in, um, in 50 Frogs. I based Aunt Gail, who is a kind of a, um, a side character, um, on my dear friend Gail Priest. Uh, who was with me during the incident that precipitated the writing of this book and she was she was thrilled and she loved her Aunt Gail character and you know I I put a lot of her into it not everything but there were there were some things in there that I was not sure she would love but I I, that that was the character so um, you know and she was very gracious about it but I I as an well, artist, I, think a lot of I it am depends passionate, on... but if it was me, maybe I would, I would have a whole different take. If, if somebody was taking me and doing something with me, I probably would have a whole different take. But as, a, as an author, I'm passionate about my freedom. Well, I read, a, I read an interview with the French author, um, you know, who's, who's right. Scarlett sued, and he said that he was shocked. You know, he thought that if she ever read the book that she would ask him to go out for coffee and she would really appreciate you know that he had written this this work so making you rethink uh, your reese thing yeah right (laughs) and um and instead you know he was he was kind of caught off guard or blown away and i think about the contrast with like i watched um recently i watched dumplin on netflix which is a netflix original movie you should watch throwing back to our our thing last week when you're saying you hadn't watched any netflix original movies and um dumpling with with jennifer aniston was based on a book that was written about a girl who was a huge fan of dolly parton Yes, yes and her aunt was a huge fan of dolly parton and introduced her to dolly's music and dolly's music had kind of gotten her through some rough times in her life and i was watching all these interviews with dolly and basically they had approached Dolly with this and said, hey, would you be willing to write a song? And Dolly was absolutely thrilled that this book had been written by her. And she thought it was just the sweetest thing. And she thought it was the sweetest thing that anyone wanted to say that her music had changed their life or improved their life in some way. And so it's funny. I think that a lot of it probably has to do with how the material 
present you and what the material has to say about you. And it probably too has to has to do with with what else you experience. I think Scarlett Johansson is probably very much on the defensive and on guard because of, you know, everything that's been done to her. More mm-hmm. so than probably Dolly, who may have gotten some some negative press in her life, but you know, yeah, not I, I think, to that I think extent. Personality does play into it quite a bit, as you said, because I think Dolly is one of those people who, and I've heard her say this, it, I'm like a duck; it slides off my back. You know, she really has yeah. never, and and let's face it, she has been imitated by many a drag queen, um, right? And and also she has been the butt of jokes. She has been, but she's, she she's in on the joke and makes it. Yes. yes. And that's yes. what makes, I, that's why I think I, I'm not at all surprised um, about her reaction to Dumplin'. Um, I think Olivia de Havilland, let's, let's throw it back to me saying that she had this very notorious relationship with her sister. And perhaps that is one of the reasons that she was so upset about this, because that was, may have been a very painful time in her life. And she right. did not want right. that brought back and associated with her at this very late stage. Um, so I, I can understand that too. So I do think it does have to do with personality. I think there's, you know, I'm, what I want to know is how this French author, I think we're missing the bigger point here. How did this French author get Scarlett Johansson to know about his book? That's really what He I, said in this article that I read, he said that he did not believe she'd ever read it. Right. So I don't so know if it was someone did, pointed yeah. it out to her, if her published publicist pointed it out to her. I don't know. Um, I've had people jokingly say that I should get Reese Witherspoon a copy of my book because, you know, Reese um, is a voracious reader and has her own production company and loves turning books into movies. And, you know, Reese, if you're listening and you're not (laughs) overly sensitive about people using your name in a book, it's called A Ghost in the Curve and um, would love for you to check out The Ghost in the Curve by Violet Howe. But um, but yeah, if she reads it and she's going to sue me, then that's not quite as much fun. So yeah. Um, if, if you're going to sue know. her, Reese, then no, there's no book. And, and yes, if you're going to sue me, Reese, don't, don't yeah. read the book. Um, <laughs> girl, I love you. I'm one of your biggest fans. I just, I did not mean anything defamatory at all in it writing is, that there isn't at all. There anything defamatory in it. It's very um, complimentary. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm just going to have to say that I'm very gray on this one because I definitely yeah. support free speech. I definitely support our right to create um, you know, with, with very few limitations or boundaries, because I don't think we should be censored and I don't think we should be, you know, monitored, I guess, with what we create. But at the same time, I think that we have a responsibility to be respectful of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that we should have a right to protect our own image and protect what is put out in the public domain about us. So I guess I'm, I think it gray on this one. With a bigger question, at what point do we become public property and at what point but but even you know what not even not even the celebrity part of it because I unfortunately you know with with this new technology there are innocent women who are not in any way celebrity but it still could affect their job it still could affect their family it still could affect their you know community things like Mm -hmm. that that they're not necessarily a celebrity but stealing their image and projecting them in a way that that they had no control over um, can still very much damage their lives. So I don't know. I think the big question is when does your right to free speech begin to fringe upon someone else's rights? You know, when, like what, which one matters most, whose rights matter most. And if you have the answer to that, please do 
feel free to share with us, you know. Yes, email. definitely. You can Comment. email us at anopendialogue1 at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media, toddracandle.com and she's on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, violethow.com. I'm on all those as well. We would love to hear from you on this little topic and, and see what your thoughts are and where you stand on this issue. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much. And we look forward to having you join us next week. Yes. Have a wonderful week. Wonderful day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. -bye.